seated. Um, every once in a while, we have the rare um, pleasure and the blessing of having um, someone come and speak with us who is not from Santa Monica, is not from LA, is probably not even from California. And so today, we have, besides all of the very special blessings of having this new baby and Josh and Sarah becoming parents and Louise is a great-grandparent again and the boys are here and the parents are here, both sets. Um, We have um, Rabbi Rich Nickel and his wife Sue here from Boston. Um, Rashi tells us that we stand on the shoulders of the elders and um, I have that feeling when I'm with Rich and Sue because they have been... um, parents of Messianic Judaism, maybe even grandparents of Messianic Judaism for a very long time. They lead a congregation in Boston called Ruach Israel. In fact, the siddur that we use, if you ever look at it, it has the name of their congregation on it. And so we have been blessed to have our service um, that's like theirs. But um, Rich is um, an unusual person. He plays the flute, he, um, which we didn't ask him to do today because we didn't want to ring him out too much. Um, but he, um, he's been president of the Messianic Jewish um, Theological Institute uh, for a very long time, which is the group that um, teaches and prepares many um, young people and older people um, in rabbinical studies and also in Messianic Jewish studies. And so I don't want to say a lot. They lead a congregation in Boston, I think, is it how many years? 30? 39 years? Okay, some of you aren't even 39 years old. So um, they um, have a ministry there called Ruach House, which seeks to bring in young people for Shabbat. And um, if you think about that they are in Boston, what schools they must be around and what kind of caliber of student and young person that they are reaching out to, they're really smart. And um, Rich and Sue have had a very rich ministry there in Boston, and now we get to have them today. So I'm going to bring them up and pray uh, for Rabbi Rich for the message that he'll bring to us today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Yeah, thank you, Melissa, for kind words, you know. Yeah, we have, we have a fair amount in common with you guys. Um, well, the Sidor we share, and of course I've spoken here before, um, but I love hearing about children and grandchildren, and we have good news too, God willing. Sue and I just learned that our youngest son, Joel, the youngest of the four kids, is expecting number one, so God willing, we'll be grandparents for the eighth time soon. Whoa. So we're looking forward to that, you know? Uh, a lot of fun. Well, listen, I do want to have some fun with you this morning as well as bring you an important lesson. And uh, so I need some volunteers. So, Rusty, yes, I see that hand. Oh, no, I got, I got these two folks right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, though. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Come on up here. So uh, you know how the rabbis... I'm going to give you this, uh, Rusty. I'm going to give you these two. You know how the rabbis love to note things about the text, about the Hebrew text? You just hold on to those, if you would. And uh, they love to draw lessons from the Hebrew text. So there is a lesson that will derive 
in part from what I'm going to share with you now. Thank you. And if you hold on to these two right here. Um, because I would like to answer a question today. And the question is this. How do you stay excited about God and about Messiah Yeshua and about, and about service for him your whole life? Because some of us aren't kids anymore, you know? And we want to stay passionate. But the question is, how do we stay passionate? So we're going to be talking about Yitro, who is uh, Israel's most famous convert, if you will. I'll talk about that. But first, I want to start from this wonderful lesson from these letters. So here we have an Aleph, a Mem, and a Tav. And who can tell me, if you put those letters together, what's the word there? Emet. And what does Emet mean? Truth, okay? So it, the, the thing goes like this. Odiot shel emet, the letters of the word emet, beshte reglayim. Reglayim, does anyone know what that word means? Feet, feet. Beshte means on two feet. So if you look, there's the olive, and the olive sits on two feet, two legs. The mem, it's a little more obscure, but you have this nice big line down there. So again, very secure. And tav, you see the two feet. Everyone get that? So, odio shel emet bishtei reglayim veshel sheker. Turn to the other page. Just put this one behind the other one. There we go. And put, yeah, there you go. This is the word sheker. Do you know what that word means? A lie. V'shel sheker v'regel echad. How many feet does the shin stand on? One. How about the kof? One. How about the reish? One. Ah, see? You get in the picture. Odiot shel emet b'shteir eglayim v'shel sheker v'regel echad. Okay? Kol ose emet mikuyam. What do you think mikuyam means? Sturdy, established. Show that first word again there, gang. You're going to go back and forth, okay? Okay? So, call ose emet, everyone who does emet, mikuyam, v'sheket name mikuyam. Those who love lies, who don't walk in the truth, they're not established. Now, show emet again, if you will. Ah, right, good, you got it, emet? There we are, and good. Okay, so what else about these letters? Okay? Odiut shel emet meruchakim. Meruchakim. You stand where you are. You, my dear, stand way over here. And you, young lady, how about right in the middle? Meruchakim. The letters of emet are far away from each other. What do we mean by that? If you look at the Hebrew alphabet, what is the first letter of the alphabet? And what's the last letter? Tav. And what's the one right in the middle? Mem. Mem. There it is, right there. Meruchakim. Okay? But Sheker, show the other one now, everybody. Show that other one. And now move super close together. Vishel Sheker Mekoravin. Get even closer. You, you guys, get, close, get nice and close. Get real close. Meruchakim. In other words, in the alphabet, the letters of Emet are far away from each other. They're at the extremities of the alphabet, right? But Sheker, if we think of the Hebrew alphabet, Kof, Resh, Shin, they're all bunched together. Now here's the lesson. 
Emet, show Emet again if you would. Kashe la'asot. Emet, truth. Kashe, difficult to do. Emet is difficult to do. But, show Sheker. Okay. But Sheker omed achre ozen. It's a bit of an idiom. But it means that Sheker is easy because it's like your ears which are right next to your head. It's in very close proximity. Okay? Now what is the meaning here? Sheker is easy. Lies are easy to imbibe, right? But truth ain't always so easy to get to, right? But yet, as followers of Mashiach, truth is very important to us. Let's give these guys a great big round of applause. Thank you very much. A little lesson. And we want to see, thank you guys very much, we want to see, we want to see how this observation about the Hebrew alphabet works itself out in the life of Yitro. Now Yitro, as I mentioned, is Israel's most famous convert. Well, we also think of Ruth, don't we? But Yitro, I was going to say, no, that's not right. Yitro had a Parsha named after him, but Ruth had a whole book. Okay, it's debatable who is the most famous of the converts. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But Yitro has a lesson for us as we explore this issue of how we can maintain our spiritual passion for a lifetime. Because, let me tell you, it is amazing how the years fly by. Have you found that to be true? I hear self-conscious laughter. Right? It is amazing how the years fly by. I mean, Sue and I were just 29, and we are, you know, 29 or so, and we, we arrive in Boston with little David, you know, three years old and one-year-old Julie, and now they're all grown and they have their own, their own children. And by the way, you can fell with me about this. Three of the four kids live in Boston, and they're all part of the synagogue, and all the kiddies, is that fun or what, you know? And we're hoping our fourth son will move back from Florida when he finishes his, uh, his, his medical uh, program. But anyhow, the years fly by, and we need to be able to figure out how to sustain ourselves so that our spiritual passion, or what I like to call the big wow. I call it the big wow. How do we maintain that big wow? Well, Yitro certainly had it, and he was no kid. Don't forget, he had known Moses for a long time during the 40 years that Moses had been with him. This was after that. And, and uh, so he was, he was an elderly gentleman, but we certainly see a suppleness of mind and character which comes from a kind of person who just lives with the sense of the big wow. So we'll look at the passage here a little bit. So we are in um, uh, chapter 18 of the book of Exodus, and just a few of the verses. You've heard them already, so I'm not going to read a lot of them. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other, and they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about the hardships that they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Now, notice this. Yitro 
was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, I'll give it to you in Hebrew because it's, it's like he's reciting a bracha. This is the prince, the pagan prince of Midian, okay? Vayomer Yithro Baruch Adonai, Asher Hatzil Etchem Meyad Mitzrayim Umeyad Pharaoh. Blessed, praised be the Lord who has rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And then he goes on to say, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. The priest of Midian saying this. Now I know. This is why he's considered such a great convert to the Jewish people. Then Yitro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. So he actually participated in the ritual, the liturgy of, of worship. And Aaron came and with all the others, uh, the elders of Israel, to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Now, all good, fabulous, but what about this guy, Yitro? What can we learn about him which will highlight his character and the lesson that he has for all of us. Well, I'm embedded, I'm indebted to a scholar named uh, Colin Humphreys. Has anyone ever heard of Colin Humphreys before? He's the head of material science at Cambridge University. I've gotten to know him a little bit personally. He's a brilliant, top, top science. You don't get to be uh, the head of a department at Cambridge uh, if you're a slouch. And he wrote a wonderful book called The Miracles of Exodus, where he tries to see how God weaves into the wonderful miracles that he did for us in Egypt, certain scientific insights about how God may have done some of what he, what he did. It's very provocative. Some people are threatened by the book because they think that he's somehow minimizing the supernatural elements of the, of the story. But what he would say is, not at all. I'm substantiating the historicity of the Exodus because it really happened and that these scientific insights actually highlight the power and magnificence of God with the recognition that he could work through straight miracles or he can work through providence and work in different ways and it's all God and it's all supernatural in the strictest sense. So anyhow, he, he believes, and I've come to adopt this position, that the location of Mount Sinai probably is not Yavul Masa in the, in, the, uh, in the middle of the Sinai. Probably not. There are a number of reasons for that. But he suggests that actually Mount Sinai more likely is in northern Saudi Arabia. So that our people left Egypt and wandered their way down, down, down to, um, uh, to the, uh, the Gulf... Um, Oh, what am I thinking? Oh, I'm having a senior moment here. Uh, there's the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba, and that he believes the crossing occurred. And maybe you've, you can just picture in your mind, you know how the Sinai comes down like this? and comes down. Can you see that? Okay. And then over here, facing it this way, this is the Gulf of Suez, meaning a body of water that stretches all the way along the Sinai and... And he's in the Red Sea. It's part of the Red Sea. And here on this side is the Gulf of Aqaba. And he feels that Israel found our way to the Gulf of Aqaba, where, where uh, Pharaoh and his armies had a pincer move, where they 
foot soldiers would come down over these very steep cliffs to attack Israel, but then his chariots, which couldn't go that way, probably came from the north down the seacoast, and Israel was just completely trapped. And Colin Humphrey says, look, the Bible is right. All these things really happened, and you can, you can figure this stuff out. And um, so, so Israel crosses the, the Red Sea at the Gulf of Aqaba and makes its way south to north northern Saudi Arabia, and that is where Mount Sinai is. The mountain of the full moon, the mountain of the moon god, moon god. Why do I mention this? Because think of Yitro. He is a high priest of the moon god, which is characteristic of this area in Saudi Arabia, the, uh, the area called Midian, okay? And um, and uh, he've, they've identified, they believe, the proper mountain. And it, uh, it's called Mount Bidir, and it has a very circular top, perfect circle, just like a full moon. And there's various evidences. And whether you've come to the same conclusion about the location of Sinai, it is a debated point, and that is, that is not my purpose to try and convince you of that. But it is my purpose to, to show you that this guy was deeply entrenched in the pagan worship of his times. He was a high priest, again, in Midian, of the moon god. And uh, here we have him turning to the god of Israel, demonstrating the kind of supple spiritual heart, the youthful head, if you will, of a man who was elderly, who had given his whole life to a certain kind of worship, and all of a sudden discovers that, no, it wasn't quite right. It is the God of Israel who is the real God. And that the reports he had heard and the truth that he encountered about the real God is what was compelling to him. So the rabbis ask, you know, what was it that convinced him? And there were three possibilities. Uh, some say... Uh, that it was Israel's defeat of Amalek. You know who Amalek is? Yeah, bad guy, the ultimate bad guy, right? The quintessential bad guy. And uh, some think that it was the defeat of this of Amalek that convinced others the giving of the Torah at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, which I should say parenthetically, according to Colin Humphreys, uh, was a volcanic situation, and that a lot of the pyrotechnics were not strictly supernatural, they were more providential, and that... that yeah, the big impression on Israel that was made had to do with this being a, an active volcano, of which there are many in northern, northeast Saudi Arabia. And, um, and, other, and others felt, uh, other rabbis said, no, what, it, what convinced Yitro was the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, that, that did it, because that was so clearly amazing. Pharaoh's armies are coming from behind and from, from the north, and all of a sudden an east wind blows and there's a scientific explanation here, too, called a water setdown, where that strong east wind blowing in hurricane force over that extended 102-mile area of, uh, of the Gulf of Aqaba, that pressed the water and created walls, that, as we read in the scripture. Okay, now, the point is this, or the question is this, do you think it was easy for Yitro to come to these conclusions? Do you think it was just a piece of cake? Hey, we read it easy peasy. Hey, so is God fine? I don't think so. 
he had to go back to his congregation and show up. I don't know, I don't know what they did, worship. He goes, everyone, I have an announcement to make. See the moon? Ain't God. God made the moon. It's the God of my son-in-law, Moses. That's the real God. Was he afraid about his pension being removed? You know? <laughs> you're out of the parsonage. You're gone. You know? I don't know exactly what he, what he went through. But I'm trying to highlight the, the suppleness of mind and character that allowed him to maintain a sense of the big wow about God as new revelation came to him. In fact, we might say that the key to his realization about the real God is that he was willing to listen to hear about the mighty acts of God for Israel. And it's in the hearing and the exposure of those truths whether it was the, uh, the truth about the, Am uh, the Amalekites or the crossing of the Red Sea or the giving of the Torah, whatever it was, it caused him to realign himself because truth, emet, demanded it. See, emet is kashet It is not so easy to find and to hold on to, but it's where it's at. If, we're, if you and I are going to finish the race as we get older. If we're going to finish the race in grand style, being excited about the things of God and working hard in the community for his kingdom. That's where we're going all this. That's the big point. The truth changed him. So then we conclude with this. What is going to change us? How can we avoid the problem of becoming blasé as we get older, thinking we've seen it all, we've done it all. We've paid, we've worked hard, we've knocked ourselves out. Now let the young people set up the sanctuary or help with the kids in the Shabbat school. Now, I'm going to take it easy and just relax. But really, if we're honest with ourselves, some of that sentiment can be a function of having lost the big wow. We've lost the passion that comes from exposure to truth and a heart that seeks truth and embraces it even when it's kashel asot, even when it's not easy. It is the spirit, it's the kind of thing that keeps us young even though we are getting older. We're all busy, right? We're all influenced in ways in fact, that we're not even consciously aware. This is something I think about a lot. You know, truth is hard to get because do you realize how, and I'll use a very strong word, do you realize how influenced, even brainwashed we are by a lot of things that we're not even aware of? Are you aware of that at all? I'll give you a benign example. Sue shared this one with me. So at the Children's Museum in Boston, they have... Grandma's house. It's all terrific. And in Grandma's house, there is, Susie, tell me if I get this right, a pink refrigerator. Right? A pink refrigerator? Would you have a pink refrigerator? 
Raise your hand if you were going to go out and get a pink refrigerator. I see one hand, but she's such a... I had trouble. Oh, well, you have one. Then my illustration doesn't work. Or maybe it does. You see, some people, she's a grandma. And maybe that's why. But most people nowadays think a pink refrigerator... I wouldn't have a pink refrigerator. There are exceptions. Real individualist you are, you know? The point is that styles change, and are you aware that they're changing as they're changing? No, you just look up one day and you go, I wouldn't have a pink refrigerator. Or think about the clothes that you wore in the 60s that you wouldn't wear now, right? Because we're subject to influences that we're not consciously aware of these things, but the pervasive nature of advertising and all the rest. Listen, um, well, then I have a note here. Maybe in California you would. Okay, but that's, we'll let that go. So, so we lose the sense of the big wow oftentimes because we are so propagandized and, and it's so easy to flow with things. Now, clothing and pink refrigerators, those are utterly innocuous. And if you want to all go out and buy pink refrigerators, there is no negative moral or ethical connotation whatsoever. Enjoy. But there are others where maybe we are uh, propagandized by others and buy into things, then it's not so innocuous. And um, what we need are the, the, the strong legs of Aleph and Mem and Tav and not the rickety state of the word Sheker, lies, the Shin, the Kof Reish in order to be able to stand for truth and do good and maintain the big wow, despite the fact that we are often propagandized in all kinds of ways. Now, I want to give you, leave you with one practical strategy for being like Yitro. You see, when we distill the story of Yitro down to its bare essentials, it was the truth of God that he encountered that enabled him to make perhaps some very tough choices about his religious allegiances following this time. He is worshiping the God of Israel and recognizes that the moon God, the moon is nice. We all like the moon. It ain't God. Okay? And, and the fortitude, the internal fortitude, to be able to live according to this new revelation came as a function of his interacting with truth. Now here is the practical suggestion I want to make to you. And it's something that I, I largely practice, so I'm not trying to share something with you. You know, the professional religious guy always has nice things to say, but, you know, what about him? Well, it's something that Sue and I take pretty seriously, and that is to engage the Scripture the revelation of God, which tradition, the, the Jewish tradition is filled with, with revelation of God. And I live for the, these, those realities. But I want to distill the, the advice I want to give to something where the concentrated truth of God is so accessible and so powerful and so real that I want to encourage you to engage, to engage every day the scripture. Every day. And I want to give you a tool that we've produced in our synagogue which you might find helpful. It's called the Daily Devar. 
the daily devar. Nice alliteration there, daily, the daily word. And what we've done, and I would credit my wife Sue with the majority of the effort here, of course others helped, what the idea is, we want you to be able to read the entire Bible in a year, but we want you to be able to do it Messianic Jewishly. So, what we suggest is we have a reading pattern, you can go to our website for the Daily Devar, and on Sunday through Thursday, you'll read several chapters of Tanakh, you'll read a chapter on each day, a chapter of the Besorah, the, the, uh, the New Testament, but then when Friday rolls around, that pattern is interrupted, and you read the Parsha that you'll be studying and enjoying the next Shabbat. So there are lots and lots of reading programs. You don't have to go to this for a reading program because there are multitudinous reading programs that you can get on the Internet and as apps for your iPhone. But the thing that, about this is unique is that in a subtle but powerful way reinforces your Messianic Jewish commitments. You see the difference there? Everyone get that? It's really very important. So you're reading the entire Bible in a year. You're following the... Uh, the Torah cycle, we use um, Chaye Yeshua, which is the reading cycle that Mark Kinzer developed for us, which is correlated to Jewish holidays. That's interpolated into this whole pattern. And I want to promise you that if you take this seriously, if you are willing to take 12 to 15 minutes a day, we timed it. People read at different speeds. 12 to 15 minutes a day to engage the scripture then you will be in a position, no matter what your age, to live in the space, the big, what did I call it? The big, the big wow. You're living in the big wow. You're, instead of being propagandized endlessly by advertisers and political pundits, and it's perfectly fine to to have political convictions, and I do, and you do, and all that's good, but, but, But the emotional power of advertisements and YouTube and Internet and all this is so pervasive. You've got to have something to wash you and to remind you of the truths that are the transcendent truths, which are the eternal truths, which are the things that could get you out of bed and keep you happy every morning, even as we get older, as the body doesn't work as well, etc., etc., the inevitabilities of getting older. So I want to commend to you to love Emmet and it is kashe la'asot, but also it'll help to be you to be mikayam, established, and to avoid sheker, to avoid lies which come in so many different packages, and to live not only beyond things which may be true, but some, relatively speaking, inconsequential compared to the great eternal truths of Moses and the prophets and most, most powerfully, Yeshua, the risen one. Isn't he the best? Aren't you crazy about him? You want to stay crazy about him your whole life? Then get into the daily devar, read scripture every day, and allow the big wow to spill over into your lives of helpfulness in the community, love for other people, because you'll come from a position of being so wrapped up in the, in the truth of God and his love and his kindness and goodness that you won't be able to help yourself 
except to live redemptively. Parents and grandparents, your children and grandchildren need to see you live this way. Okay? Those of you who will be moms and dads one day, you need to cultivate these things now so your marriages can be great. And if we all take these things seriously, I think that Ahavatzion and Ruach Israel will be peopled by very, very happy people who warrant and have earned and who are blessed by God's smile. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Thank you.